Welcome to the Soma Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope what you hear fills your heart with hope and purpose. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and share it with friends. Here's today's message. It'll be, it'll be awesome. All right, so um, if you guys uh, were with us last week, you know we're right now smack dab in the middle of a message series called What's in a Name? And we're talking about uh, the names of Jesus, especially around the Christmas season um, and what that tells us about Jesus. Um, before we pray and jump into the word, um, I, want, I want to share with you um, why I think this message series is so important. Um, because whether you know it or not, what, how you, uh, what you believe will define what you do. Now, you may even struggle with that a little bit, and you may not think that that's true, but I, I can guarantee you, regardless of whether it's in the context of Christianity or anything you do in life, what you believe will impact what you do. A while back, I was talking to my brother, and he said, why are you voting for this person? This is a long time ago, so it wasn't Donald Trump. Um, but you can get into that if you want to. I'll tell you who I voted for this election. It was a long time ago. He said, why are you voting for that person? Are you voting for that person just because they're a Christian? And I said, no, I'm not voting for that person just because they're a Christian. But I am voting for that person with that in mind. And, and they thought that they balked at that, and they thought that was ridiculous. And I, and I just said, listen. Um, you, may, uh, you may think that Christians are hypocrites and they may not live up to what they say they're supposed to do or anything like that, but the reality is, is that what you believe will impact the decisions that you make. It's inevitable. If you don't think that's true, then the older you get, by the way, you look in the mirror, you may not continue to look like your parents, but you'll be surprised at how much you start acting like them because what you believe is somehow intricately tied to who you are and what you believe sometimes comes from your parents, from your culture and all that stuff. It does impact what you do. And so it's so important that we know who Jesus is, that we truly, truly have a deep understanding of who he is because what we believe about Jesus will impact our lives. You know, some people say, well, just go out and be a good person or just try to do right by people. You know, I'm a good person. You're a good person. Doesn't matter what you believe. And the reality is, is that's not true. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you that like what you believe it is important. And I know that people say things like, hey, people don't care how much you um, know until they know how much you care um, and, and, and people can believe a million, a myriad of different things and we can still love that person, be in fellowship with that person and all of that stuff. And maybe you would even take the stance of saying this, well, my kid's dying in the hospital and I don't believe, I don't care what you believe about the Trinity, I care about my sick kid. And I, and I understand all of that, but I'm telling you, what you think about your sick kid will be impacted by what you believe. So belief really, really is important. And so that's why we're in this series. Because I believe, and, and I think it's true, that what you understand about Jesus will impact what you do on a regular basis. So with that being said, would you just bow your heads with me and close your eyes and we'll jump into the word. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to serve you faithfully, to walk with you, to know you, to hear your voice. We trust that as we look into one of your names uh, today, that, uh, that you'll just impact our lives, that you'll help us know you more. Oh, God, that we may know you. Paul said that everything else in life is just a pile of poop compared to knowing Jesus, my Lord. And we echo that claim today that, God, we want to know you more. We want to know you more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Um, 
So there was this old song, and you can sing it along with me if you know it. It's not too, too old. It's like in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, something like that. And, and it said, what would my life say to you if I said nothing at all? What would my life say to you if I said nothing at all? Anybody know that one? No? Nope. Well, you're welcome for me singing. Um, well, yeah, so I, 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 I say that song because... Um, uh, because I've often thought that idea wasn't a great song, but I've often thought about that idea. If you could not say anything, you were mute. You, you, you could never talk again, never utter a single word. And let's say you're not even writing anything down to tell anybody that, buddy that. Could you convince people by your actions alone that you were a Christian? You couldn't come up to them and say, hey, brother, God bless you. For them to know you're a Christian. Or you couldn't come up to them and say, are you going to pray for that food before you eat it? Uh, it? You couldn't say anything to let them know that you're a Christian. Would people be able to tell just by your actions alone, there's something different about that person. There's something special about that person. Because today I want to talk to you about the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And I believe that one of the greatest thermometers of your relationship with God, your spiritual temperature, one of the greatest indicators of how close you are to Jesus will be how much peace you possess. So when life is at its most difficult, when you're stressed out, when you have anxiety, when you're going through the storms of life, when people look at you at that moment, would they be able to know that you're a Christian? What does your life say to them based upon your peace level? Does it, does it wax? Does it wane? Is the only time that you say Jesus in those moments is when you stub your toe or hit your finger with a hammer? What, is it, what does your peace level look like in the storms of life? That's what I want to talk to you about today because one of the greatest titles around the Christmas season is, is this, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got your phone, you can click that joker on. And I want to take you to Isaiah chapter 9 and show you um, this prophecy of Scripture that will be echoed in the Christmas story. But it's Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And a little bit of verse 7, and it says this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And there will be no end of the increase of his government and of his peace. And so right there, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Um, and how we know that is that when the angels will come and speak to the shepherds who are watching their flock by night, as we all know by the story, maybe by the Bible, um, that we will see that they say something to him. And you probably heard this phrase, um, and you'll hear it probably in Christmas movies. But when those angels will appear to those shepherds who are watching their flock in the middle of the night, and this light will pierce the sky, and these angels will speak to them, they will say, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, and then they'll direct them to where that peace on earth is really all about and where it's coming from, and then they'll go to a manger where they'll find a little baby with a mother and a father, and, and, and they'll find that baby surrounded by animals. Now, I don't even know what you believe about that, but, but just hear me on this. The, Paul says that Jesus is the second Adam, the second Adam, 
You remember the first Adam, right? The first Adam was in the Garden of Eden. The first Adam is the one that got us into a little bit of this mess, if you believe that, that, that he's the one that kind of was the first person to bring sin in the earth. Um, and that's what Paul means when he says that Jesus is the second Adam. Because what he means is that Jesus turned everything around that Adam had caused, that Jesus reconciled it and made it better and sanctified it and purified it and healed it. That, that that's what Jesus did by coming to this earth. Now catch this, because this is something that I think is powerful, is that the first Adam, when he came to this earth, was tasked with his very first job, and his very first job was to give every single animal a name. You remember that, right? It's like God could do it himself, but he asked Adam to do it, and he's like, giraffe. Good job, Adam. Hippo. Uh-huh. That's, that's not a hippo. Anyway, we'll keep it. We'll keep it. We'll go with hippo. Um, anyway, so he, he called all of those animals by name. It was the first task that was given to, to Adam. And so he took this chaotic situation of all these animals without any names, and he named them all. You're saying, well, what does that have to do with peace? Okay, so here's the idea, is that now we have the second Adam, Jesus, born in a manger among all of these animals. Only the, the first Adam brought a little bit of order to the chaos of all of those animals. And, and this, this second Adam, this Jesus, baby Jesus, is going to eventually bring order to the chaos of each and every one of our lives. So, so, so Jesus, even from his birth, was bringing peace on earth, and goodwill toward all men, toward all men. So I don't know where your peace level is at today, but let me tell you a story. There was a, um, a car that was in driving, in, driving insanely slow on an interstate, and a police officer had to come and pull the, cop, uh, the car over and finally walked up to the car and saw that it was elderly man driving the car. And he said, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And he said, no, officer, I don't. And he said, I pulled you over because you were going so slow that it was, it was a liability to you and to everybody else around you on the road. And, and he said, and you need to drive the speed limit, sir. And he said, well, I was driving the speed limit. And he said, you were? And he said, yeah, look, that sign right there. And, and he pointed to the interstate sign. And he said, no, no, sir, that's the interstate sign. You're, you're on I-10. That's, that's not the speed limit. You're not supposed to be going 10 miles an hour. And then the officer looked over to the wife, and the wife looked freaked out. Shocked eyes, fingernails in the dashboard, hair blown back, and she just looked wigged out. And then, and then the officer said, sir, what's wrong with your wife? And he said, I don't know, but I just got off I-110, and uh, she's been like that ever since. Everybody get that? All right, good. But the point is, is that, um, is that we all struggle. We'll have issues. Um, and it's my heart, it's my sincere hope, guys, that whatever's going on in your life right now, that you will look to Jesus in this moment and you will find peace. Please don't make the mistake of checking out right here in this moment because some of you are gonna be going to Christmas Eve with your family and you hate that cousin and you can't stand them or that in-law. Of course, you, love, you guys all love your in-laws because I know how Christian you are. Um, uh, you, you may be going through a serious difficulty in your life. You may be dealing with any number of issues, and, and, and this is the thing that I would want for each and every one of you. Look, I'm not a good pastor if, if all I say is just believe in Jesus, but then you have zero fruit, which, by the way, pre peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. You have zero fruit in your life to prove that you are what, what Jesus says you are. I want you to have a peace that no matter what is going on in your life, it's so supernatural that people have to come and ask you, why aren't you freaking out? 
Why aren't you upset? And you have to tell them why. That's the kind of supernatural peace that you can possess if you're walking closely with Jesus. So let me just take you to this final story in Matthew chapter eight, and then we'll, we'll wind out our time tonight. Um, I do wanna make sure that I do a good job of just helping you understand that peace um, goes beyond just an emotional feeling, and peace is something that Jesus brought with his birth and with his ministry here on this earth. Peace is something that Jesus brought um, to your soul. I wanna make sure that I mention that. Like That's one of the greatest aspects of the Prince of Peace is that he wants to bring peace to your soul. I mean, the Bible even says this, and you can ask me later what this totally means because I'm not gonna explain it. I don't have time. But, but it, the Bible actually says before you come to Jesus, you're an enemy of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, I thought God was just this loving dude with a white beard in heaven that just never got angry at anything. Well, actually, there are some things that make him mad. And, and, and it says that while we were in sin, that we were actually an enemy of God, which means we were fighting God. And you may even say to yourself, well, that means that we were an enemy of God, but we, that God wasn't an enemy to us. And I think that there's an argument for the fact that both of those things are true. So anyway, I'm going to push that to the side. And just needless to say that the good news of the gospel is that that has changed because of what Jesus did for all of us. I tell my boys this way, if you want me to really break it down for you. Um, I, I, I took Jude uh, the other day, and I put him on his belly on the bed, and um, I said, Elias, I'm going to show you what, what Jesus did for us. And I said, I'm going to spank Jude. I'm going to spank Jude. And I raised my hand really, really high, and I said, I'm going to give him the best spanking because he's been so bad, and I'm going to give him a really, really good spanking. And, and, and then, and then uh, I said, Elias, now yell, stop. And he said, stop right before, I'm just glad he did it because like, I didn't know how much of a brother he was gonna be in that moment. He's like, just hit him, dad. Um, I told him to yell, stop, and I said, stop. And then I said, now Elias, I want you to say this. Spank me instead, dad. Spank me instead, dad. I said, would you say that? He said, yeah, I'd say it, because I have a sweet kid. And, and I said, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. The spanking that we deserved, Jesus Jesus took it for us. And so, so we're no longer uh, the, the recipient of that because of what Jesus stepped in. So I want you to understand, needless to say, that peace comes not just as an emotional feeling, but as uh, Jesus saved our soul. And now we have peace with God and peace in our soul because of what he did for us on the cross. Like I said, I don't have too, too much time to jump into that because I want to go to Matthew chapter 8. And if you would, I want you to read this story with me because Peace is a soteriological reality, and I know that's a big word. That just means that Jesus gave peace to our souls. But, but it's also a personal assurance. So it's a soteriological reality, but it's also a personal assurance. So he also gave peace not just to our souls, but also to our heart. Um, and here's what it says. Um, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, so that the boat was, oh, sorry, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm, and again, this is Matthew 8, and behold, there was a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves, but he himself was asleep, and they came to him and awoke to him, saying, save us, Lord. So they are in, the, in a boat, Jesus takes them on a boat, thanks a lot, Jesus, and then a storm's coming, and the boat's about to tip over, man. And, uh, and, 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 and then Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus, of all things, is sleeping, Thank you for that, God. Um, and they come to him and they're like, save us, save us, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? 
And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? What kind of man is this that the winds and the seas obey him? So real quick, I have three questions about this verse, the story, these verses of scripture. The first one is this, is um, why was Jesus sleeping? Like, we know he's the perfect son of God, but is he also the perfect napper? I mean, the boat was about to be capsized because of a storm, and Jesus is sleeping. Then the second question is, is for a perfectly normal response to freak out in the midst of the storm, why does Jesus say, you have little faith? Why are you getting so scared? It's like, well, because the boat's about to fall over. Seems like a normal response. And, and then the, th- the third question is this, is they're amazed when Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and the storm and makes it all go away. Jesus does this. And, and then it's, they're amazed and they say among themselves, who is this? Who is this that could do this kind of thing? It's like, well, why did you ask him for help in the first place if you're like, if you didn't think he could do that? What, what are they looking for? Um, And I think there's two ways to answer all three of those questions. Kind of two ways that answer, I think, all three of them um, uh, together. And so the first one is this. Um, I think it's possible. This is the more unlikely one, I think, but I want to give you two ways of interpreting this story. Um, I believe it's possible that Jesus is sleeping because the disciples needed to be engaging him and, and, and have him awake, but they let Jesus sleep. Perhaps maybe they thought he just needed to sleep or maybe they didn't recognize their need for him and they fell asleep in a sense. They fell asleep spiritually and they let Jesus go to sleep physically on them because there's this verse of scripture in Isaiah 62, seven, and it says this, do not let the God of Israel sleep. In other words, keep on praying to him, keep on believing, don't abandon your faith, Um, wake God up. And it's obviously being poetic because the Bible says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. But what if God was saying in that moment, you let me sleep. And he was kind of like um, putting them to the test in a sense and saying, you let me sleep. And that's why you got yourself into this thing. You started doing it your own way, in other words. And that's why you're in the position that you're in. You know, you have little faith. You should have been talking to me. You should have been learning from me. You should have been engaging me instead of just saying, oh, well, we don't need Jesus for this one. Now, we do that very often, by the way. I got this one, Jesus. You go do your thing, God. I'm good. I'm strong enough for this. I'm smart enough for this. And doggone it, people like me. Um, We we do that all the time. And perhaps that's why um, they had little faith. Now, I think that's not as likely as potentially this. This is the thing that I actually think is true. Is that I believe that Jesus is sleeping because he's trying to give them an example of what they should do in the storm. Boy, I hope that hits you like a ton of bricks. Jesus is giving them an example of what what you're supposed to do during the storms of your life or when you have difficulty in life. Um, And that's why he gets up and he rebukes them because they're panicking and they're saying, Jesus, save us, Jesus, save us. And, 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 And he was trying to show them you know, a, a page from his playbook that this is what you should be doing when you're going through difficulty. And then, that's probably why at the end they say, who is this guy? Um, 
I, I think ultimately the, the story is trying to preach to us one of two things. First of all, maybe you need to awaken your faith. Maybe you haven't been believing God and you need to get the peace of Christ that gives you the assurance that God is faithful to his word and you need to start claiming his word and you need to start believing his word. But perhaps maybe more than anything, what you need to do is you need to learn to rest. You need to get rest for your heart. You need to quit worrying, having so much anxiety, having so many pills, having so much, you know, whiskey to take the edge off. I, I don't know what the case may be, but perhaps God is trying to get you to the place where you can find rest for your weary soul no matter what storm is coming against you. Is that ministering to anybody? Is that helping anybody? Yeah, I hope so. Because the reality is, is the next time you go through a storm, if you don't find rest for your soul, the only other option you have is panic. It's the only other option you have. Um, and, and that is what most of us do. But perhaps there's a way for us to not just freak out. Perhaps there's a way for us to rest. Perhaps the next time we go through one of these difficult situations, um, perhaps we won't have to quit next time. Because the reality is when you go through a place of resistance, the first thing you want to do is, is turn the other direction and go the opposite way. Well, we better go back to shore because this is a bad storm. We, we need God's help with this one or, or, or we're going to die. And so we, I don't know if God's going to help us or not. So let's just go back. Let's just go back and let's play it safe. I hope we can take the attitude that, um, that we believe God so much, no matter what storm may come, that we're not going to stop short of what God has in store for us. Because here's the end of the story. They go through the storm. And by the way, Jesus put them on the boat. Jesus wanted them to go through the storm. You say, well, Jesus would never do that. Yeah, he would. Um, he put them through the storm. And at the other end of the storm was a man that needed to hear the gospel because he was so oppressed and, and possessed by demons that it says that when Jesus cast all of those demons out of him, and I don't even know what you believe about this story, but it doesn't matter. Just take the story at face value. The point is, is the guy was so messed up that he was cutting himself with rocks, and he, was, he had a nudist colony in a cemetery. That sounds fun. Um, and he was cutting himself with rocks, and that when Jesus cast those demons out of him, that there were so many of them, there was a legion of demons in him, that, that he cast them into a huge herd of pigs that were nearby, and every single one of them, the moment that demon went in them, they jumped off a cliff and killed themselves those pigs did. That's how messed up this one dude was. And so I would say this, that the other end of your level of peace in the midst of the storm is the blessing, is the calling, and the divine opportunity that God has for each and every one of us. God has things in store for us, and I think we can miss out on them if we allow the storm to be stronger than the peace. And so here's the sum total of everything that I wanted to share with you guys tonight. 
It's Quincy Jones. Um, you guys may or may not know him, but his daughter's Rashida Jones. You may know her. Parks and Rec. Um, and Quincy Jones is the guy that made um, uh, Thriller. He was the producer on that. And he's the guy that also made Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He did tons and tons of different TV shows and tons of different music albums. And he said this. He said, um, and this means a lot coming from this dude who is a multimillionaire and has done a billion different really, really high-level things. He said this. He said, your resources better never exceed your vision. Your resources better never exceed your vision. In other words, you better have such a big vision that you don't have enough money for it. That's the place you should always be in life, or at least your vision is not big enough, is what he said. And I, and I would put a, a little bit of a twist on that and just say this to you. Is your God big enough for the moment? You know, we say that thing about people who have the opportunity to do something awesome or something big or something once in a lifetime, something like that. Um, and, and they say, well, the, the moment was too big for them. In the moments of life that you will experience, no matter where you may find yourself, five, ten years down the road, is the God inside of you bigger than the storm outside of you? Because the pressures of life will, will come against each and every one of us. But here's the thing that Christianity promises that no other religion really does, is that God wants to have a personal relationship with you and he will become so real to you and so big to you that it won't matter what's going on outside of you. He will give you strength. Now, I hope this comes in handy for some of you because I'm going to end with this story. Um, a guy named Horatio Spafford um, was a, a, a hymn writer and a Christian man. And during the Chicago fires in 1870, his two-year-old son was burned to death. Um, two-year-old son, so about the age of Jude, um, just a little bit younger than him. Um, two-year-old son was burned to death. And if that wasn't enough, the Chicago fires burned down a lot of the real estate holdings and any of the buildings that he had. And um, in 1873, there was an incredible economic depression that almost robbed him of every single penny that the guy had. So you'd think 1870-ish, his two-year-old son dies, and then he loses, a couple years later, loses every penny he has, basically. And to get away from all of the stuff that's been going on, he books a cruise, um, uh, a ship anyway, to, uh, to London, England, to go over there to try to rekindle his business. And he sends his family ahead of him because he's got some things to do in Chicago to kind of just get things back in order. And um, so he sends his family ahead of him. And um, a short while later, he receives a memo, an SOS or whatever, back from the ship, and it says, Lone Survivor. And he'll learn later that his four daughters and his wife that were on that ship, among those uh, among his family, that the only person that survived a shipwreck was his wife, and his four daughters were killed instantly and drowned. Um, you, you probably have never had um, a worse decade than Horatio Spafford had. And in light of that, he wrote this hymn that some of you may know. It's an old hymn, obviously, 1870s. Um, he wrote this hymn, but I want you to kind of listen to the words of, him, of it. Because I think that this encapsulates everything we're talking about with the Prince of Peace here tonight. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, or sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. 
It is well, it is well with my soul. I love that hymn. Next time you're going through something difficult in your life, you need to sing that song. You need to remember that story. But think about that. Think about how big your God has to be to lose every single one of your children, to lose every single penny you have, and to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Could you imagine the pain, the tear-filled eyes, the clenched teeth through which you would sing a song like that if that happened to you? Herein is the power of the gospel. Herein is the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory is that no matter what happens, no matter the storms of life, you can find a place to rest. You can find a respite in the midst of the storm. You can find, as the Bible says, a cleft in the rock, a place away from the difficulties of this world where you can find peace. And the last thing I'll say about it is this, is that Jesus said, peace I give you, not as the world gives. You know why? Because peace comes and goes if it's the peace the world provides Peace leaves the moment the police leave. Peace leaves, like if you had the same situation in your house before, peace leaves the moment the toilet paper runs out. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're frantic right at that point where you're on the toilet and there's no toilet paper in the house. Peace is gone. Am I right? Elias thinks so. But Jesus didn't give us that kind of peace. Jesus gave us a peace that doesn't come and go. He gave us an eternal solid rock to stand on. And it's my prayer for each and every one of us that we can stand on that rock no matter where we may find ourselves from one second to the next. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. For more messages like this one, please check out our channel for past episodes. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. For more info about Soma Church, please go to soma-church.com. We love you and we can't wait to meet you in person.